Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Welcome to Skylines, the Citymetric podcast. I'm John. And to start this week's show, let's let's have a cheerful statistic for everyone. In the UK, every year, it's a population of about 65 million, give or take. In the UK, 40,000 deaths each year have been linked to air pollution. Now, that's not, you know, it doesn't say air pollution on anyone's death certificate, but, you know, things like asthma or cancer or dementia, those those are all affected by air pollution. And these, these are figures from, I think, the General Medical Council put those on there. In London, where the problem is its worst, it's about 9,000, which is, you know, that's quite a lot. That's like one in a thousand Londoners, which is actually, I just, having said it like that, I'm actually more frightened than I was at the start of this segment. So that's great. That's really good. If you're not free, if you're not freaking out, then you haven't been paying attention. You should listen more closely. Anyway, so that's what we're going to talk about this week. We're going to talk about air pollution and is it going to kill us all? To, to have that exciting conversation, I'm joined by our environmental writer, India Bork. Hello. And by our welcome scholar, Sanjana Vargas. Hi. So, Sanjana, you, you, you've been doing some research on this one. Mm-hmm. What exactly is the problem? Why is, why is the air in, in a big city so polluted these days? Um, so, essentially, the air in large cities like London is increasingly polluted because, obviously, there's more and more people moving to London or to cities like London. Um, there's more and more cars on the streets. There's increasing pollutants from things that we don't really think are pollutants. So, for example, even electric cars, there's kind of particulates that are released from their tires or from brakes, um, which actually does get into the atmosphere and contributes to the overall level of air pollution. Um, obviously, there's irregular culprits like, you know, exhaust fumes and kind of other general things that we already know contribute to air pollution. But in big cities, air pollution tends to increase during certain peak seasons. So, for example, in London during tourist season. And that tends to kind of, that is that seems like it'll be an issue that's going to continue on into the future. What I'm not quite sure of, though, is why is this worse now? It really feels to me like this is a subject that's kind of risen up the agenda in recent years. And it's one of the kind of environmental concerns that we talk about quite a lot in a way we didn't even five or ten years ago. So why why are we suddenly obsessed with it? Well, it's worse now, partly because we have more diesel cars, and this actually is oh, it's just one of the one of the many deeply frustrating things about the subject is that we have more diesel cars because a previous government tried to answer climate change by encouraging people to buy diesel cars. Okay, that so wasn't it's... such a good move for <laughs> air pollution. And the, the horrifying thing is that the civil servants, the, the government, they knew the impact on people's health now. And like, well, according, uh, I've been reading Client Earth's book on the subject, and 
you know, in fact, there were these conversations just going, okay, well, we're like having to save lives in the future by impacting lives now, which is mad. So, and this happened all over Europe, right? This wasn't just Britain. This was there. There are similar schemes to encourage diesel cars elsewhere. I think, but I think it's worth sort of explaining that a little bit more. The point. The point is, with with diesel cars, they produce less carbon emissions is that mm, right but more but more NO2, more, more nitrogen. nitrogen oxides and which is the stuff that you know if you are walking along brixton road of a morning you will breathe in a lot of that and you might die slightly quicker so so and, and the other kind which is the uh, as you said the particles particulates, particulates. particulates. Yeah. That's yeah. The one. <laughs> yeah. which which literally means very small solid bits yeah. right rather than gas and i think also there's been changes to like monitoring equipment over the last couple of years so it's become more accurate so now we can actually pick that up because we know it's happening, whereas previously it wasn't really counted in air pollution statistics. So it might seem like it's a lot worse, but I think a lot of the data has just become a lot more accurate too. I mean, it's probably both. And who, probably a combination of both. Who is measuring it? Is it the government? At the moment, not really. I know that in the UK, I think the London government has come under a lot of fire for like outsourcing essentially responsibility to monitoring air pollution to, for example, like my university, King's, um, which has an environmental research group that has kind of these comprehensive maps of London that show where air pollution is the worst. I think they kind of do them more specifically in like some areas and other areas they don't monitor as closely. Um, and but anyone they, can go and see and those maps online. Yeah, so you yeah, can go online, really you can go on the website, use. you can go on, I think it's like King's Environmental Research Group and they have these like live maps and they update it every hour, which is really, really interesting. Um, as you can expect, like there's sometimes in the day where it's worse and other times in the day where it seems to not be as much of a problem compared to earlier. Um, so King's, for example, does a lot of work on it. I think a lot of other universities have kind of shouldered that burden. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but there are a lot of other universities around the UK a lot of other research groups I think environmental lobbying groups that have taken that on and then kind of devised their own monitoring systems um, and also ways to present that information don't really know if much has been happening as a result of it though I mean I think it's also worth saying that large chunks of London and many other British cities and indeed many other European cities come to that are constantly in breach of, of European yeah. law on this stuff because they are basically poisoning their citizens. Last year, I think Putney High Street is another particular hot spot that had managed to breach it something like a thousand times by the end of the year. Yeah, it's 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 bad. And London is London is a bad example, but it's it's not the worst by a long way. Like, and it's not just breaching it a little bit. I mean, it's breaching it like ten over ten times the amount. It's just crazy, crazy amounts of pollution. I was I was. Uh, like there's hot days when you're cycling on a hot day after which you get a genuinely terrible taste in your mouth because mm. it is literally you've just been breathing in particulates it's just dust and ugh. so i'm really paranoid about this and every time i go to get lunch we our offices are right near st paul's cathedral which is really beautiful but wow is it polluted you can just smell it like and taste it in the back of your throat so I um, sent off Friends of the Earth have been doing a air pollution campaign and I sent off for one of their air pollution monitoring kits. So maybe <laughs> after the podcast, I'll go and put it up outside the office and then I can send off for the results and actually tell you. You've all actually how got much. the kit now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's exciting. So when do we find out the results? Right. Well, it has to stay up for two weeks. That is a little um, tube. Ooh. So I'll strap it up outside the office and then two weeks we send it off and I think it's a month they, they tell you the results. So so not by the end of this episode is the... That's... Sorry, sorry, <laughs> suspense. <laughs> we could make it to the wibbly time passing noise and then make up some numbers, I suppose. Do a countdown we don't, we don't on Twitter. Anyway, there is, uh, there is a group of environmental lawyers called Client Earth that has been repeatedly taking the government to court for its failure to... to 
get serious on these issues. We spoke to one of the lawyers, a chap called Simon Alcock, uh, about a month ago now, shortly before they were due to go back to court. So, so let's hear from him and find out how that's going. I'm Simon Alcock. I'm from the environmental law charity Client Earth that has fought a long-running uh, court battle with the government over air pollution. Before we get into air pollution, I'm kind of curious, like the, the, the environmental law charity is kind of, those are, those are three words one doesn't always sort of spot <laughs> in, the same, in the same description. So what's the, how, how does that work exactly? So we've been, we've been around for 10 years now and we work across um, the environment in terms of the issues that we work on. So air, air quality is one of them. We work on climate change, on energy, on forests, um, and that's across Europe and across the world. And our sort of job, really, is to enforce the law. Um, so here with air quality, we're trying to enforce existing law, um, but maybe in other countries or other jurisdictions, we're trying to implement new laws. Um, and it, it depends on, on, on the issue, but we want to basically at the going to court is the last resort for client earth we we want to enforce the law in order to protect people and to protect the planet it feels to me like air pollution has become a much much bigger issue in the last couple of years and you guys can probably share the credit for that to some extent but you know what it does feel like it's it's climbed the agenda not just in, in britain but internationally i mean why why are we talking about this now i think you're right i think it has got, it's gone up the agenda massively in the past past year or two um, and it's different in each country, actually, which is quite interesting. So before I get into the UK, if you look at India or China, they're dealing with some of the pollution that we dealt with back in the 1950s, which is coal, solid fuel in the cities, um, which is obviously affecting their lives. Whereas in the UK, in our cities, we're dealing with diesel pollution. And this is basically, um, there's been a huge drive of a successive governments for people to buy diesel cars because we thought that'd be better for climate change and better for the environment. And whilst that's still true to some extent, what they're not great on is uh, producing nitrogen dioxide, which is really bad for our health. And I think we've been working on this case. There's other people, Simon Burkett, for instance, from Clean Air London, have been working away at this, and it's slowly got up the agenda. And I think the reason why is because it's a scandal, really. You know, in this day and age, the air that we're breathing is harming our health, especially our kids' health. That's just crazy. And so, you know, it's it's quite a scandal, and I think people have picked up on that. And so what does what does Client Earth feel the, the biggest or the easiest way to solve it is, and, and how's the government responding to that? Basically, if, if I explain a little bit about how maybe it, it works, so diesel cars produce nitrogen dioxide, which is an, a toxic gas which harms your health, and that can affect when you're when you're in the womb or a small child it can affect how big your lungs get um, but if you're older it may exacerbate an existing condition you have it can cause heart attacks and uh, it can and cause asthma and so this is a real problem and we know that it's where you stand on the road matters you know it's it's, it's crazy really but if you're closer to the road and it's a busy road you're going to be breathing in more than if you're standing further away or up in your house so it's diesel cars particularly it is diesel cars in particular yeah they're the, the diesel vehicles basically yeah, they're, the, they're the sort of when where we're breaking legal limits of air pollution yeah. that's 80 percent is caused by diesel vehicles and why is the government finding that so hard to to answer so we've been breaking the law now for for seven years and I think that the problem that we have is that you need to rethink the way we sort of get around our towns and cities. 
So what, what Client Earth would like to see is a national network of clean air zones, which is quite a mouthful, but I'll explain what that means. So, so wherever we're breaking illegal levels of air pollution, towns, cities, they, we should have a clean air zone brought in which takes the dirtiest cars and vehicles off the most polluted parts of those towns and cities. But alongside that, you need a series of measures and to support and help people switch to cleaner forms of transport. So that could be a scrappage scheme, it could be changes to the way we tax vehicles, so it's actually going to be cheap, cheaper to buy a cleaner vehicle rather than a diesel vehicle, which is what it is now. Um, and it could be actually, it's about time, I think we stood up to the car industry as well, who got us into this mess with Dieselgate, uh, and had a, a scheme of compensation and retrofit for people that have been ripped off by buying cars that aren't doing what they should be doing. Um, and I think the reason it's taken the government so long is because they've been encouraging people to buy these diesel cars. A lot of people are buying them and now we're going to have to sort of switch people across to, to cleaner forms of transport. But we know that technology is there. We just need the political will now to, to make that move. I think it's worth spelling out quite how far over the limit on a lot of this stuff we are. So uh, I think I'm right in saying that European law on uh, nitrogen oxide levels sets a certain amount you're not meant to go over yeah. more than 18 times a year, is that right? That's right. And on Brixton Road in South London had managed to breach that annual limit by January 5th. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> we're not just a little bit over. We're, we're like, you know, a couple of orders of magnitude yeah. over, right? Yeah. So like, it's, in, in certain parts of London, it is just terrifying, to be honest with you. We're, we're breaking legal limits within the first few days of the year. Um, and it's not just a London problem either. The way that they measure pollution is by zones. So it's not by towns and cities or counties even, it's by zones. And there's 43 zones in the UK. And for 38 of those zones, we're break, we've got illegal limits. Are the other five quite rural? Yeah, they can be quite rural. But it's, it's, it's interesting Like there are certain parts of, uh, of rural Britain that have, because say there's one busy road that goes into the, the village or the town, has quite high levels and you could be breaking it there as well. So it's it's actually quite surprising when you see you know, some of the places like in rural Wales, for instance, where they do have illegal levels. But obviously it's the towns and cities that are the worst. So is it perversely, it sounds like it might almost be easier to fix in London because there are ways of getting from one end of Brixton Road to the other that don't involve having a car. That's not necessarily true in rural Wales. So are we kind of... Is it possible that this problem is not going to go away in, in some areas? I think, no, I think you can do, you'll be able to do that by putting in a clean air zone, which would mean that if you've got a dirty car, you won't be able to go into that part of town. I mean, we'll, I'll be honest, we're not, climate doesn't call for a diesel ban because if you're driving in rural areas between places, it actually makes sense. And, not, and some of the, the heavy goods vehicles actually are meeting the legal limits for for what they should be polluting, but that's because they're tested properly. Um, but I think you're right, if it's in a, a city, especially London where we have a good public transport infrastructure and network, it is a lot easier to do. But we're going to have to be, we want to see a big improvement um, in terms of it across the UK, in terms of, because we're going to have to move people into public transport, otherwise they're not going to be able to, to get around really. And I think one of the good things in the Mayor's transport strategy, which he released a couple of weeks ago, was the idea of seeing the central London as zero emission by 2025, which is something we've long called for. Basically, unless you've got a really clean vehicle, do you need to drive it into, into central London? I think that's the sort of question and debate that we should be having around air pollution because at the moment, a lot of the, the debate is doom and gloom because it is quite scary and it's quite shocking, really, that we're 
that we are breaking these legal limits and they have this effect on our health. But the future should be optimistic. It should be a better way of living, a better way of getting around where there's less congestion and the air is cleaner. And I think, you know, it's a good start from there. We'd like to see more vision from our politicians, really, about the sort of cities and towns that we're going to be living in. Blindad's been take, holding the government to account on this for a few years now yeah. and saying, you know, you're, you're taking too long, you know, literally putting people's lives at risk. But at the point we are now this summer, wh- what's the gap in what the government's failing to do still, in particular, according to Client Earth? So we've, we've had a six-year battle against the, the government, trying to get them to meet legal limits of pollution. Uh, and we kept losing, but we finally won in 2015, the week before the uh, election in May that year, um, where the Supreme Court ordered the government to come up with a plan that would meet those legal limits in the shortest time possible. Now, they took until the end of that year, 2015, to come up with a plan. Uh, we felt it was nowhere near good enough. It didn't do what the, we thought the evidence suggested they should do. It only had five clean air zones plus London. Um, there was no other measures. And we thought they were doing the minimum. So we went back to court and won a victory in November 2016, where the judge ordered them to come up with new plans that do this in the shortest time possible regardless of what cost was um, doing what is te- technologically feasible so they came up with a plan during the uh, election this year in 2017 um, after trying to delay it after trying to use the election as an excuse not to publicize it we managed to get them to, to, to publish it um, we don't feel it's good enough on two accounts really it's a plan for more plans so if you're in Wales or Scotland or Northern Ireland or, you know, you it's a plan for another plan. When we need a final plan now, we, you know, there's no point waiting around for a plan. We need to just get on with it. And they're trying to push it onto local authorities to deal with this. Of course, local authorities have a role, but it should, we think central government needs to lead the way and, and sort of enforce a, a network of policies that, that are needed. But it, it also didn't do what the evidence suggested. So they had a technical report that came out with the plan that said that the best way to tackle air pollution is a network of clean air zones that actually charge people from going into the, those most, most polluting parts of the towns and cities. But the, the final, or the draft plan, made no real mention of that. In fact, it was, it was meant to be a last resort to use those policies. And we felt that it was just wrong. You've, you've got to be honest with people about what you think the measure should be. And so we, we, you know, we've had a, a long-running battle. They have to publish this final plan by July. We have a new Secretary of State in post now so we'll have to see how it goes but I think there's a huge consensus out there from business from groups like us from the medical experts that there's a lot more that needs to be done and we hope they're going to do that so what's the political appetite to address this actually like I mean it sounds like national government's been dragging their heels but has there been any more enthusiasm from you mentioned the the mayor's transport strategy we get very excited about metro mayors around here at least i do (laughs) i I like to imagine the listeners do um is is there any more enthusiasm for addressing these things at that kind of you know city level rather than national government do you think yeah there definitely is i think the only people that really are dragging their feet are the national government even mps from all parties in in parliament are really positive about uh, taking action and we've had some really good debates in the house about that when we've had MPs from across the house line up to criticise the government. And then if you go to the Metro mayors, obviously the Mayor of London has, has made a step change with what the previous mayor was doing and is coming forward with some ambitious policies. We always think he could do more, but he is doing a lot on this. And I think if you look at the new Metro mayors that have come in, they're definitely committed to, to action in their manifestos. Um, and that's Andy Street from the Conservatives to Andy Burnham from Labour. 
And so now our job is to see what they're going to come up with, see what they, they're going to do. But they have a real opportunity because they've got those powers now and they've got the chance to, to do something with those. And what is great to see is that they really are taking the issue of air pollution seriously. It does feel like we've reached that sort of point now where people are taking it seriously. It'll be interesting to see what Andy Street does in particular because the West Midlands is so built around the car in a way that London and even Manchester aren't. But it's actually quite difficult to get around the West Midlands without some form of motor transport. So it will kind of test what, what you can do, oh, really. Definitely. I'm from the West Midlands. I'm, uh, originally, I'm from, I was born in Wolverhampton, and obviously that's part of this new area that he covers. And if I think about my family back home, they rely on the car. I think... Um, it's, he's going to have to do what's right for that area in terms of um, clean air zones. But there's no doubt that Birmingham has been mandated to do a clean air zone. They're going to have to do something in Birmingham. Um, and they're going to have to do, I think, like the very city, like towns like Wolverhampton and Warsaw within the West Midlands. And he's going, to have to, he's going to have to get that right. And I think what he'll need is a set of measures and help from government to help people because you can't be penalising people just because they drive a diesel car it's not their fault that they're driving them uh, they were encouraged to through the tax system it was cheaper and you ca- I think it's very hard then to just sort of say tough you've got to, to give people a chance to switch their vehicle or, or help and support if they're not um, and he'll need that from his government I think if he's going to do the measures that he's got to bring in but he has to do those measures you know the law is there the law is there not for a laugh or a joke, it's there to protect people's health. And that's what we've always got to come back to. And at the end of the day, yes, it might be a bit an inconvenience, but breathing in the air that's affecting your health, affecting your children's health, is, is a big inconvenience too. So is wearing one of those Death Vader masks when you're trying to cycle in. But what I find fascinating is that it has fallen to essentially a, a charity to pick the government up on this. I mean, this is like, they are breaking the law. How, why, how are we in a situation where we rely on on charities to to, help, to make the government behave? I know it's it's, it's a cra- it's a crazy situation really, and obviously at the moment the law that we have is European law, and so the European Commission have a case against the government, which is further back than ours, and ours has led the way, and I think they're they're waiting to see how we progress with it. But when we do leave the European Union, there's this huge question mark about even having some law to enforce. So. You know, who will be the... If the Commission isn't enforcing that law, is it going to be client through judicial review? Well, that just seems crazy. Or is it through Parliament? What institution will be there? And I think I think you're right. And I think they're actually making it harder now to take judicial review. So we have a case at the moment around access to justice, which is the government are trying to remove the cap. So when we take the government to court on air quality, we know how much we're going to have to pay. Whereas they're trying to remove that cap, which is going to make it much harder for not only organisations like ours, but individuals to really hold the government to account through the courts, which is just madness, really. Because so, you'd be less likely to bring a case we, if you didn't know if the costs could spiral out of control. Yeah, it's just huge uncertainty there. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we want to do our jobs and we want to, to, to enforce the law. But, yeah, I think without our court case, we wouldn't be seeing any action right now. Obviously, people would be campaigning about it. The issue probably would have gone up the agenda because it is a scandal. But it's only through the court case, really, that we have we keep finding them coming back, and each time there's a little bit they do a little bit more, and you know we can see things are getting better. But what we really need is the new secretary of state to to sort of take the opportunity and actually do something about it because we've been here before. It's the 61st anniversary of the the Clean Air Act from the 50s this this month, and that again was the same sort of debate. It was around a different type of pollution. It was around coal, but there was 
vested interest saying then, oh, you can't do anything. It's all too difficult. Was, I think Macmillan, before it was Prime Minister, was sort of saying, look, mm. we've got to, seem to be seen to be doing something, but that's, mm. you know, that's how things work anymore. But it's just a sort of necessary evil. I think he then later claimed it as one of his great successes, I'm sure, having I'm sure he on did. the record kind of tried to push it away. And we'd be very happy for um, you know whoever it is, the Prime Minister, to... To do that now, actually, if they if they felt like it, so <laughs> come on, be um, a hypocrite. <laughs> but it's amazing how that debate is still there, really. And I just think I think we're getting beyond that now, hopefully. And I think um, the more attention that is on the issue, and the more we debate it and talk about it, the progress is there because we know what is. That's the the, the crazy thing about this debate. We know what is needed. The technology is there. We know the policies that are needed to clean up the air, and small policies can have a huge effect, really. And we just hope that people, like the Secretary of State and the Prime Minister, will grasp that metal and go with it. It feels like one of those policy areas where the problem is that, the, to be blunt about this, the, the vested interests are, are the electorate to a large extent. In the same way with things like, I mean, I bang on about housing quite a lot, but one of the reasons it's so difficult to solve the housing crisis is because many of the people out there who vote don't really want you to solve the housing crisis and it feels like the same kind of thing it's like the, it would almost be easier if the polluters were these sort of evil multinationals or like you know we could just like you know sue Volkswagen for the, the scandal but the problem is it's like people driving around in their cars it's who have the vote yeah well that's certainly what the government's interpretation is and I think to some extent it is the, multi, you know, it is the car companies that help get us into this mess and they should play a role in getting us out of it and I think people just aren't aware of the health effects of it. I think once people, I think public awareness in London is pretty good right now, but outside it, it isn't. Like we've still got a long way to go in Birmingham and in Manchester. And I think once people start to be made aware of that, there'll be more appetite for change. But of course, it isn't. Um, it isn't people's fault. You know, then people need cars to get around, and they've been told to buy these cars that are actually harming their health. And I think that's where you need these sort of measures to support, which aren't rocket science. You know, you've got a string of conservative think tanks coming up with ideas about how you do the scrappage scheme, how you change the tax system. They should be just doing, getting on with doing this. And I think we've been pleasantly surprised when we've talked, when we've done opinion polling and when we've talked to focus groups and had a debate with the public, once that people are made aware of the health effects, there is an appetite for, for policy change here. And I think if, you know, like the Mayor of London has found that he's been bold and people have got his back. People have applauded that. And, of course, there's a backlash from certain people and vested interests about it. But, you know, once you've gone for it and done it, you can get the public on your side, and that's what we want to see, I think. It feels like part of the problem is that no death certificate has ever said death by air pollution. It's always, you know, heart disease or lung cancer or whatever it is. It doesn't say it on your death certificate. You might even know it had an effect. Um, I've been doing this job 18 months. Before then, you know, my girlfriend, who's really good on environmentally she used to talk to me about where you know where I stood on the street I just thought that was bonkers and actually she's right and most people just aren't aware of the effects that air pollution has on them and it certainly doesn't say it on your death certificate but it's probably had a big factor if you live in a city like London yeah the stuff about um, how close you are to the street is crazy like I spoke to a guy from, from a, a construction consultancy about how they make how they deal with air pollution in the building industry and one of the things they do is they just move the frontage back a couple of metres yeah. Because that actually has a massive effect on how much air pollution is recorded yeah. at the door. You see, it seems crazy to think like you that that shorter distance can make that big a difference, but it does. Yeah, totally. It really does. And you just notice it. I notice it now, where I, you know, sit outside in a pub or a cafe or something like that. You in the past you wouldn't have had a second thought about it. Whereas if it's on a road now, you'd be tempted not to. And it's a, it's an issue. It's a real issue.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So that conversation was was a few weeks ago. They've since been to court. India, how did that go for them? (laughs) Well, they did lose that particular battle because, oh, well, <laughs> they, they've won a lot. I mean, it's thanks to Client Earth that we're, you know, the government is even at this point at all. Um, what the judge kind of ruled in that case was he said he doesn't have a problem with the draft plans not being good enough because he was like, they're drafts, you know, let's cut the government some slack. Like, let's see what the final plan is. And then a few weeks after that, at the end of July, the government did publish their final draft plans. And surprise, surprise, they are pretty much just as bad as... Uh, sorry, they published their final plans mm-hmm. and they're just as bad as the drafts. Yeah, Client Earth has said it's still really not happy with where they are. And it's not happy for a couple of reasons. One is that the main way that even the government's own advisors have suggested tackling pollution is these clear clean air zone is charging people to take cars into cities that's not mandatory in the new plans there's the point basically that it's not you need there needs to be a level of coercion here because basically you just need to get fewer cars is the end point otherwise we're all going to choke that's the end point but what the government did was really sneaky they made a headline for their plan which was um by 2040 they're going to ban all petrol and diesel cars, new cars, so ones that are still already on the road. Those are fine, those can stay. Quite a kind of like new, big new step, caught all the headlines, um, and they delayed publishing the actual details of the plan so <laughs> so people didn't have anything else meaty to report. Um, and yeah, it was just one big distraction technique for the fact that but that sounds... They're not actually doing anything but... until 2040. <laughs> isn't isn't that exciting though? Like banning petrol and diesel cars from 2040, which will be, I mean, like time goes quicker as you get older. That'll be here soon. Right, <laughs> it'll be here in five minutes. And also, so, like... 40,000 deaths each year are linked. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's only 23 years ago. It was 40,000 <laughs> times 23. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's this no, Sanjana. Come on, like, show, um, what's the bright side here? And I don't really think there's much of a bright side, to be honest. Oh, um, I think that. The issue is also if we wait, for example, until 2040 to to ban petrol and diesel cars, like a lot of the damage to the environment and to 
the air will already kind of have been done anyway. Like, there's obviously something to be said for implementing, like, environmental regulations at some point. But I think the general rule is, like, the sooner the better. And so putting it off until 2040, which is now 23 years away, like, who knows what could have happened to, like, London or other big cities, like, air by then like who knows what other there might be natural disasters it's a bit dramatic but there might be natural disasters and there might be other kind of issues generally on global warming or climate change that might actually make it worse if we wait that long um and i think that's kind of the big issue around it is that by waiting that long it's essentially giving companies and businesses up until then like a free zone of like yeah you've got 23 years like make the most of it which i think is is really irresponsible so what they have said they'll do is um they've asked local governments to come up with their own plans um, to say how they're going to tackle the problem, which, like, on behalf of the government, the central government. So um, they're, they're devolving responsibility. They are devolving responsibility. Are they, by any chance, devolving money to deal with it? <laughs> they are. They, they, to... they are. There are. There is money. There's oh. money to come up with the plans. Oh. Can't remember the figures off the top of my head. Read my money, summary. Money to write the plans, <laughs> not to implement the plans. For, for, there will be money for both. Um, it's just that a exactly lot of councils don't really have very much money and there is this whole thing I don't know if you're aware of the big squeeze going on in councils where a lot of them are slightly concerned that they, th- their budgets have been cut even in the good times their budgets have been cut particularly in the bad times by 40 or 50% in many cases and at the same time the costs for delivering the services they're statutorily required to do is going up and up and up particularly like old people in social care mm. So they're just getting squeezed to a point where like, a lot of councils are like, well, if we keep going like this in five years' time, we're not going to be able to do anything other than care for old people badly. That's basically our job now. And and the government's response has, has consistently been to just sort of demand, you know, they just devolve this stuff. They just give them more and more responsibility. They never give them the money or the power required to do it. And then they turn around and say, well, it's not our fault that you're choking to death or your school is falling down or nobody's emptying your bins. It's because of those incompetent councillors. What the hell is wrong with the British state that it thinks this is a remotely acceptable way to run a bloody government in the 21st century? They're also cowards. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was the subtext. Yeah, it's, just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just rubbish. It's just, they're so rubbish. It's just like everything is about saying, well, it's not our fault. It's the fault of those people who are going to be failing to implement it in 2040. Or the exactly. Local it, it, they're just, oh. Deep breath. <laughs> but electric cars are going to solve all this. Right? Is that, Apparently. Is that, so, the, the one, <laughs> the, give me some good news. Well, before <laughs> the good news, if, if there is any is that it's not only the budgetary problems that the councils are going to have to face. They're also going to have to face the, 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 the basic fact of charging people to take their cars into your city is probably not going to be that popular. Yeah, I mean, and this is why so, everyone's so cowardly about it, right? Exactly. Because it's going to annoy people, even though it's like... you know, And, and as I said at the start of this, like no, no death certificate ever said died of air pollution. Exactly. So it's difficult to see the costs. It's difficult to see the costs. It is, like... It, yeah, and just... This feels like exactly the kind of thing that a, gov- a central government should be stepping up to. I mean, this is so. This is a huge national health crisis. This is why we have central government to really step up <laughs> on situations like this. And unfortunately, with with Brexit on the horizon, there's at the, at the point where we need them to be stepping up even more because we may p- possibly no longer have the European Court of Justice to hold them to account so we need them to kind of not only hold themselves to account but hold everyone else to account and instead they just seem to be passing passing the buck all the time i do sometimes feel like one of the reasons 
some people, particularly on the right, are enthusiastic for Brexit is precisely because they don't like the idea that a higher authority could ever say, no, you're not allowed to do that. And they just want freedom to do what the hell they want. And it's actually better for the rest of us if they don't have that freedom. But there we are. Yeah, it's so true. But it will... This will kill people. I mean, it reminds me of... Did you watch The Crown on Netflix? Yeah, they kind of made that bit up. Sorry, there is an episode of The Crown set during (laughs) the smog crisis of 1954? 52. But yeah, in which which a lot of people... Smog smog was a mixture of of, um, industrial smoke and fog. Pea soup. Yeah. Without any peas. And yeah, people did literally die but yeah. but the people who died did not include uh churchill's secretary with whom he had developed a particularly close relationship earlier in that episode to make her death a bit more of a tug on the heartstrings so she did she wasn't real no. and while i like i really enjoyed it i thought hey they shot it beautifully and it, it was really moving and it was great to see air pollution issues on on the screen but but don't you think the best thing about the crown is matt smith for sexy prince philip <laughs> Right. I'm pleased that that's your favourite thing about the crown. I just, I, I, I just think it's an amazing performance because he's like he's you know being this sort of yeah, this sort of young cat about town, but at the same time he's very visibly playing Prince Philip, and I just think that's a wonderful combination to be able to pull off. <laughs> so segueing back to Churchill, <laughs> yeah, this notion that Churchill only did something when he had like a personal connection or someone he individually cared about that then he woke up to a national crisis is also quite worrying. Like, are we going to have to wait for a politician in central government to have a partner who has asthma or something and, and literally is struggling to go outside in London? Yeah. Do we need to manoeuvre someone with severe breathing <laughs> difficulties into a job at 10 Downing Street <laughs> if we're ever going to... Anyway, um, should, should we read some tweets to wrap this up? Yeah. I, yes, as, as is my... Way I asked the readers of the City Metric Twitter feed to um, what, how bad is air pollution where you are and what would you do to tackle it? And the answers were about as helpful as you would expect from our readers. Kadim Shuba said, it's so bad that I have to wear swimming goggles if I want to open my eyes. No way. And I, oh when God. I, no, when I said, <laughs> when I just said Kadim, he said, read it out, John. So there you are, I, I, have, out. I have a terrible, re- slightly unrelated anecdote. That's fine. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready to share this, but... Not swimming goggles, but I did want to cycle down Brixton, polluted Brixton High Street in a uh, in a in a full wetsuit. <laughs> I, I find the Lido really cold, so I thought I'd be clever and take my wetsuit, and then forgot to take a change of clothes, <laughs> so just cycled back in the wetsuit. I should have I should have had swimming goggles to complete the look. What I like about this anecdote is it's got absolutely nothing, nothing to, to do, do with air pollution. Actually, cycling is. I have I have an ongoing debate with a friend whether cycling exposes you to more pollution or less pollution Ooh. than public transport or driving in a car. He he says that driving in a car, the fumes come in to the car like through the. I don't understand cars, but you know how the how the air how the air conditioning gets in. Mm-hmm. The fumes come in through there, and that's at the level of the exhaust. So there's more intensive air pollution inside a car i don't know if i believe this i think cycling you're breathing really heavily so you're breathing more in like where if you're on public transport or car you just i don't seem i don't think i breathe very much there was uh, a ranking (laughs) there was a ranking on air pollution from the world health organization last year i think which found that in i think it was 15 cities none of them british these are generally south or central asian cities the air pollution is so bad 
that going for a jog will actually reduce your life expectancy yeah, because the exactly. damage done by the pollution is greater than the, the health benefits. When the Supreme Court, sorry, <laughs> we will get back to the tweets, but apparently when the Supreme, this case first went to the Supreme Court a few years ago, they kind of opened the debate with all, all these, all the judges um, kind of being like, oh, have we avoided air pollution today? Oh, well, we didn't play tennis on purpose. Like, I mean, but it, it's kind of a joke, but it's also literally dead, deadly serious. Magzell Halliday replied, I clean off black particles from the house paintwork from cars waiting at the lights. It's back within days. I realised this weekend that plans switched to electric vehicles will hugely reduce my suspend task. Will it? Uh... Will, will it actually make it better to, like... To, will it make it cleaner? Like Yeah, I mean, like, will electric vehicles mean that she has less black stuff to clean off? Yeah. Not, I mean, I, I guess in the long run, maybe, but, like, not immediately. I don't think it's, like, one day it's, like, dirty, probably, and then the next day you walk out and it's, like, completely, completely yeah, clean. Yeah, wait until 2040. Probably, I mean, 20, 2040, and then maybe, like, 20 years after it'll be, like, mildly better. Yeah. The other thing I, I mostly read that out because I know Mags listens to this podcast and she did once send me a knitted Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, right. so thanks, Max. <laughs> James O'Malley, the podcast regular James O'Malley, replied to build segregating cycle lanes on every street in Kensington and Chelsea to teach rich people who really don't need to own a car a lesson. I'm generally in favour of teaching rich people a lesson. There, so <laughs> what's a segregating yeah. cycle lane? Segregated cycle lane. Just, did, did oh, just, 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 yeah, just yeah, a cycle I, lane. Yeah, I, I may have misspoken. Let's see. I still don't. Segregated, segregated <laughs> cycle lane. Do you like, mean just like a cycle lane? Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. Okay. Just a normal cycle lane. <laughs> just the cycle is, lane for regular just, bicyclists. Seg- segregated, like you know, it's like it's what it means. <laughs> okay. Don't argue with me about the English <laughs> I language. I don't. I'm not a cycling buff. I should know more. But it's definitely an unnecessary word. Grandma Ogre, who tweets us look at the correction, which is an interesting combination of words there, Grandma. Yeah. It says the AQA, what is it? sorry, AQI, what's AQI? Air Quality Index. Uh, she gives a natural number. AQI in British Columbia, where she is, is 136, thanks to wildfires in the interior. Mm. We need to go back to controlled burns, but that's never going to happen. We've not really talked much about wildfires <gasps> in this podcast. Do we need to think more about the wildfire issue? Yes, massively. I just came back from Portugal, where I've been interviewing people who survived the really horribly deadly wildfires there earlier this year. And um, yes, we do. Oh, maybe that's one for the... Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned, we'll do Wildfires Never episode. Um, and last but not least, Simon Jeffrey from our, our mates at the Centre for Cities says, uh, get rid of speed bumps. The extra benefit is cutting the ungodly racket that builders and scaffolders vans make as they go over them. This has been a quite a depressing episode of this. Like, does, does anyone have any, like, happy stuff we can finish on? Tesla has a new car and it's really pretty, but I can't afford it. <laughs> but you, well, you live in London, why do you need a car? Good point, good point. <laughs> I can look at it. I can look at other people's who can afford it. I can look at their cars. Okay, so that's how we're going to reduce air pollution. Instead of buying cars, we're going to look at them. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.